0: Hello and welcome to Banfield, everyone. We're going to begin this very busy evening with the most obvious, not to mention dramatic, indication yet that the United States Department of Justice is very, very interested in former President Donald Trump. Trump himself revealed late today that Mar-a-Lago, his home slash country club in Palm Beach, Florida, was quote under siege and raided and occupied by a large group of FBI agents who'd, quote, shown up unannounced hours earlier. Trump is complaining, and I quote, that they even broke into my safe, though he isn't saying what they might have been looking for, let alone what they actually found. Sources are saying that the search was at least partly related to 15 boxes, maybe more, of government documents that Trump took with him from the White House. Reportedly, some of the documents were classified, and Trump took his time giving them back when the National Archives objected. It is possible that the FBI believes that not all of the material was actually returned. Joining me now with much more on all of this is News Nation correspondent Kelly Meyer. Kelly, this is pretty late-breaking, so I understand that we don't have the complete picture, but I will say this. Legally speaking, this is seismic.
1: Yeah, that's right, Ashley. And I think the biggest thing right now is we don't know exactly what the FBI was searching for here. News Nation has learned that the, this was tied to the confidential material in those boxes that the DOJ was already looking into. So we know that it could be tied to this here. But as far as what the officials were looking for here, we just don't know. And we're waiting for more information on that. The DOJ the FBI not commenting on that, but we knew, do know. And as you said, they looked inside Trump's safe there. He even said that in a statement. So whatever this is tied to, we are waiting to find out more. But the FBI uh, had to convince the federal judge uh, to show that there was probable cause to find and go into the home and conduct this search. Trump calling it a raid. The FBI saying that this was a search. Trump says his Mar-a-Lago home was, quote, under siege, raided and occupied by what he calls a large group of FBI agents. Trump says this is an attack by Democrats uh, worried that he may run in 2024. He also compared it to Watergate, saying, quote, what is the difference between this and Watergate, where operatives broke into the Democratic National Committee here in reverse. Democrats broke into the home of the 45th president of the United States. Trump, in his statement, didn't say why the FBI was conducting this. And we know that he also wasn't in Florida at the time. He was actually in New York. We heard that this also was done Monday morning. Uh, but we learned of this Monday night from a statement from the former president. Again, the Justice Department, the FBI, not commenting here tonight. We've reached out to our sources there as well. So there's still a lot of information, as you said at the top, that we still just don't know. But a big reason or a big uh, main reason, big, big thing we don't know here is what was the subject of this investigation, Ashley? Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: and what do they have and where are they taking it for how long and when will we find out? about what they uh, have found. So here's another super interesting aspect of this. You know, Mar-a-Lago is closed, right? It's the summer season in Florida, so it is a seasonal place and it's closed, so the only people there would be the staff. But certainly uh, the staff or whomever had let Donald Trump know what was going on because he was in Trump Tower in New York City. And one of the fascinating things that was said was that it was his office area and the personal quarters where they really focused this rate. And I'll, I want to just sort of talk in real time if I can, because Stephanie Grisham, who was the, the former um, the, uh, the, the the former press secretary, said a couple of things about Mar-a-Lago because she spent a lot of time there, Kelly. She said it's a big, big mm-hmm. place with a business office, with an office for Trump, with an apartment. With her room, meaning uh, Mrs. Trump, his room, Mr. Trump, a common room in their apartment, the son has a suite, she said, her parents, meaning Melania Trump, had a suite, uh, the guests had a suite, and that there were lots of family cottages. This is a massive place. So I suppose it's not a surprise, Kelly, that they were there for many hours.
1: And we're still learning exactly the details surrounding how long they were there, you know, what exactly they found, whether or not we'll hear from Attorney General Merrick Garland tomorrow or in the coming days remains to be seen. But certainly all eyes are on what exactly came out of this. Um, I know you mentioned the former press secretary there. And as the reports say that uh, Trump had not handled his documents properly in the past or was known in the administration for not handling these documents properly. Um, so whether or not we have heard as well that this was tied to the investigation into what was inside those classified documents, those boxes that he took back with him, um, but as for more information, exactly what they found, uh, many people are curious to hear that tonight.
0: Yeah, let me actually quote uh, Stephanie Grisham, the former press secretary, just from a few hours ago. She mm-hmm. said this. Trump did not handle classified documents properly. I've watched him on airplane rides ripping them up, uh, throwing some away, and putting some in his pocket. We... We're not a White House that followed the rules. Again, those were the words of Stephanie Grisham, the former White House press secretary. Kelly Meyer reporting live for us on this breaking story from Washington. Thank you. I also want to turn now to my colleague Brian Enton, our senior national correspondent, who's been working his sources. And you've got some breaking information on the story as well. What have you found out, Brian?
2: I do, Ashley. I just got a lot of new um, information from the source. I just took two pages of notes. I just want to read you everything that I just got, Ashley. We can kind of go through it. Um, first of all, uh, I am told that uh, Attorney General Garland approved this, that this all went up to the highest levels for approval, that they did not even notify the Secret Service at Mar-a-Lago that this would be happening until about an hour before the search warrant started. Uh, which was at 9 a.m. this morning. They started at 9 a.m., and this did not end until 6.30 uh, tonight. I am told that while this was happening, three different Trump lawyers showed up to Mar-a-Lago trying to figure out what the heck was going on while this was happening all day. Um, they went everywhere. There could be documents inside Mar-a-Lago um, and, uh, looking for documents that the president may have taken from the White House, uh, obviously National Archives, um, doesn't have some items that they are supposed to have. And that's what they were looking for uh, because he doesn't have a right to have those um, classified documents. Uh, according to my source, Went this is interesting, actually, they went in very low key. There was no FBI jackets. There was no emblems on any of the clothing. It's not like what we've seen with other FBI raids where you could tell it's the FBI. They went in low key without the FBI jackets and there was a lot of staff at Mar-a-Lago today. I am told, and they believe the reason this did not leak out until early this evening is because most of the staff believed that it was the Secret Service that was there, because the uh, the FBI was not um, marked on their clothing. Okay, this is also interesting. We've heard the reports about the safe. President Trump, in his statement, said that his safe was was broken into. Um, I am told that the safe was in his office, which is above the ballroom. It used to be a bridal suite that was converted into President Trump's office and that the safe was a typical hotel room safe in the wall. This is not like some kind of elaborate safe. It was a hotel room safe uh, and that nothing significant was found inside that safe. It's not the kind of safe that you would store classified documents um, in. I'm told that everything they found Will go to the FBI office here in South Florida before it makes its way back to to DC, and that the warrant was very explicit that they could only take certain items related to the alleged criminal activity. So it's not like they went in and just took all the documents they could find, and then are later going to go through them all and try to figure out what's relevant. That is not what's happening. Uh, I'm told. I'm told that they knew exactly what they were looking for and that those are only items that they were allowed to take uh, and that they ended up leaving with dozens of boxes, actually.
0: Well, I mean, nine and a half hours of searching, uh, you can only imagine what, what they were looking for if they were just looking for a couple of documents. I'll say this, Brian, those, those, um, revelations are extraordinary. What you just said, that there's a hotel room sized safe that certainly puts into perspective, uh, you know, the, the picture of boxes and boxes of documents certainly wouldn't be in a hotel room safe. And that nothing significant was found in that safe also is a fascinating uh, discovery on your part from your sources. What's interesting about the way a federal warrant is executed. You can't just go willy-nilly and say, let's go in and see what we find. Let's take a look around. The way it works is that prosecutors list very, very specifically the probable cause for the actual crime they think is committed. And they have to list out that crime, right? Then they actually have to list what supporting evidence they believe they're going to find. And sometimes in the great detail of saying where they believe they're going to find it. But the other interesting thing is, even though we now know that this particular search is in relation to the 15 boxes of material with some classified information that were removed from the White House and taken to Mar-a-Lago, um, th- that doesn't matter. Anything that is found in a search like this, call it a raid, call it a search, whatever you want to do, whatever your political leanings, that can be applied to other investigations as well. And as you know, and everybody watching knows, there's two investigations going on right now the boxes right and also the january 6th are you hearing anything uh brian from your sources about that other little piece of business on the side the january 6th and if, if they found anything in this particular search that might have applied to that
2: so i am told that all of this has to do with the retention of classified documents that is the extent of what i was told this search warrant had to do with um, but, again, I think it's interesting, you know, we initially heard that this sort of just happened in the morning. No, they were there from 9 this morning uh, until 6.30 tonight.
0: All right. Uh, Brian enton doing the job for us tonight. Stay on it. You've got great sources, obviously. And come back to us um, when you find out more, as this is, uh, you know, obviously a, a late-breaking, fast-breaking story. I said it off the top, Brian it's seismic. You do not search the home of a former president of the United States unless every T is crossed 80 times and every I is dotted double that. So, yes, Merrick Garland signing off on it, one hundo. I mean, there would have been no way that the Justice Department hadn't planned this and executed this uh, with every one of the most important people involved having signed off on it, uh, certainly, especially since the president was not there, the former president was not there at Mar-a-Lago. Excellent work. Brian, thank you for that. Uh, you know, one of the things that's so critical when things like this happens is the legal perspective, because sometimes in the details uh, are the most important parts of the story, not the optics, not the politics. And I'll tell you, the politics is this already. Here's a tweet from uh, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican Minority Leader. He says, Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. "Quote: I've seen enough," he says. The Department of Justice has reached an intolerable state of weaponized politicization. When Republicans take back the House, we will conduct immediate oversight of this department. Follow the facts and leave no stone unturned. Attorney General Garland, preserve your documents and clear your calendar. Q. The attorneys. I want to bring in Andrew Cherkasky. He's a former federal prosecutor, now in private practice, and he specializes in civil rights law. When you hear those words, preserve your documents, I'm sure that your ears perk up because that means Kevin McCarthy and perhaps uh, his Republican caucus are thinking about what they can do legally. If when they say they're they are going to take over the House. But let's put that aside for a second and just talk about this massive development for a moment, if you will. Uh, I never thought I'd see the day. I really didn't. Andrew, where we'd see the former president uh, having the FBI actually search through his home without him there.
3: This is a seismic day, as you've been saying, because it answers a lot of questions that have been out there. Uh, the questions that have been answered by this are uh, a couplefold. Number one, the DOJ is saying that they actually suspect a crime took place, not just that they suspect a crime took place, but that there would be evidence of that crime at Mar-a-Lago. This isn't some sort of civil effort to recover documents from the former president. They're saying that they actually believe through the probable cause standard that a crime took place. And implied in that is the big question, can you prosecute a former president for his acts while in office? Im- implicit, I think, in the act of actually going forward and having the affidavit that alleged criminal activity, they are saying in their own minds that they can prosecute the president. Because I don't think a judge would have ever signed off on this if the Department of Justice and the attorneys involved and the FBI agents involved didn't tell the judge specifically that they believe that they can actually prosecute the crime. Otherwise, it's not a, a crime at all. So I think that the developments here are not just big in the idea that they're raiding a former president's uh, personal residence, violating his Fourth Amendment potentially, if they didn't do it through the proper way. What they're saying is that in order to satisfy the requirements under the Fourth Amendment, they really did have to establish that a crime took place in their mind and that there would be evidence of it at Mar-a-Lago.
0: Okay, so as a result of this Fourth Amendment uh, search, let's talk about the actual code that, you know, is in question here. It's United States Code, eight, it's 18 U.S. Code 2071. That is the Presidential Records Act. It's really, really serious if you remove records. Just records, okay? Not even classified records. But if they are classified, it is even more serious. And yes, these are federal crimes. But how serious are these federal crimes if, in fact, these were committed. We're not suggesting that for a minute, but there are a bunch of FBI people going through the former president's house.
3: Right. So we have a couple of different theories under which this uh, could ultimately be criminal. So we've been, you're, you're talking right now about the Presidential uh, Records Act. That, I believe, under circumstances like this, would be a maximum of three years in jail. So technically a felony offense, but certainly not something that's particularly serious in the scheme of the United States Criminal Code. Now, there could be other theories of criminal liability here, uh, some sort of violation of classified records. Uh, t- Taking a classified record or the mishandling of a uh, of a classified record, and there are uh, punishments that could be far in excess of three years in connection with the improper handling of classified records. That said, you have to keep in mind President Trump is the ultimate uh, classification authority when he's in office, and it's really the president of the United States at any one time who's the classification authority. So it's a bit odd to be prosecuting or, or conceptually prosecuting the person who would have been the one to title these documents as classified or as unclassified. And that just kind of goes down a whole path in my mind of whether even if he did violate this, would it have just been a, a negligent act? Typically, you can't prosecute someone for negligently uh, taking documents that they had in good faith uh, thought would be appropriate. So really would have had to amount to some degree of criminal uh, recklessness or criminal negligence uh, for him to be prosecuted through the idea that these are simply classified documents. Many questions in, in terms of exactly what crimes the Department of Justice suspect were violated here. But again, I go back to what I said before. It means the Department of Justice does believe a crime was committed.
0: Andrew, can I ask you something? You know, there are other ways this could happen, right? You know, the way I've watched crimes being investigated is usually through subpoena. And that's when you serve someone and say, produce these records. You're being served. And when you don't subpoena someone and instead go this route, there is a reason, and there's a good reason. Can you explain that to the viewers, why this wouldn't have been a subpoena and instead would have been, you know, quote, large number of uh, agents going through the House?
3: many different reasons why to not subpoena. I think primarily it's that you're worried you're not going to actually get the documents or the the evidence back from that individual, and in so doing, give them the opportunity to actually destroy it. Now, on the other side, and I see this, this seems very obvious. I mean, this is a long time that has passed. And so these records have been there for an extremely long period of time, over a year at this point. Not just that, but we also have the idea that this has been an ongoing debate with uh, with the the archives, so the National Archives. So they have asked for certain records back. There's been an ongoing uh, conversation on that point. And so to go from that conversation and the kind of publicity that has gone on for months about that topic to suddenly going in there, that, that signals to me some idea that somebody believes these records uh, were going to vanish. And why wouldn't they have vanished in the in the months before this? I don't know what their good faith is for that. But they so- had to say stay to them, yeah, go ahead.
0: One of the other things I think is really important to note, because our viewers know politics and they know when it crosses and intersects with the law. And I think if we're all going to do the math here for a minute, it is uh, August the 8th. If you count 90 days from now, oh, it's the midterm elections. And, you know, the DOJ is very aware of its influence on the public as you get closer to a midterm, just ask James Comey about his Hillary Clinton comments within you know that 90 days. So, do you suspect that today this happened? Because we are just a shade outside of 90 days, where the DOJ puts a, a you know a full lid on anything that might have the you know the patina of um, of politics in their actions.
3: So I was going to mention uh, Comey and his actions kind of within that window. You have to keep in mind that it's just a policy. And so when the Department of Justice is going forward with something as big as the criminal prosecution of a former president, and that's what I see this as, again, because they had to say to the judge that they suspected a crime. So in doing that, it, does the 90 days really matter? Perhaps, perhaps they were trying to stay out of that, gain a little bit of a point from a political aspect of not overly politicizing this. But I think that's way out the window here. I think that the the politics of this and the division that's going to come from this is going to be astronomical. Really, what the FBI is doing is signaling once and for all uh, through their through the Department of Justice that they think President Trump uh, or at least those closely connected with him violated the criminal code of the United States and that they are in interested in prosecuting him for that.
0: You have good information. It's why you pass the bar and you do what you do. Um, Andrew, thank you. Andrew Cherkasky joining us live on this breaking story right now. Um, I also want to bring in Bill Cunningham. He is a radio talk show host. If you have heard him in Cincinnati, he's with WLW. He's joining me by phone because, as I said, this is late breaking. Bill, can you hear me?
4: Actually, I can. Is everything well now where you are?
0: Everything's uh, pretty, you know, en fuego, as we like to say in the news business when a story like this breaks, you know, uh, during primetime. This is big news. You know, as I mentioned this word, I'll say it again because I think it bears repeating early and often. This is seismic. The United States president does not have his personal home searched through uh, unannounced by the FBI unless people have crossed every t dotted every i and they know exactly what they're looking for and a federal judge does not sign off on warrants like this unless it's very very serious and they have listed very specifically what they're looking for why they're looking for it and and i'm going to say this as blatant as i can what crime they believe he is committed and they've listed it on the warrant so your thoughts on that bill we're going to
4: have to see the affidavit exactly what under, underpins this. But imagine this, Ashley, three branches of government. We've had left-wing extremists trying to kill a sitting United States Supreme Court justice. We've had United States Capitol overrun by right-wing rioters. And now we have the president of the United States and his personal home being, I use the term, uh, ransacked by FBI agents, as your last guest indicated, posing perhaps not as FBI agents. They didn't have markings on them. And so we live in a time right now where at one point the conservative movement was moving toward Ron DeSantis. And I hope the Democrats know that they can't do this to the Trumpster and get away with it. There are people in America right now that want to walk out of their homes, fly their Trump flags, and actually show support for the president. You know, imagine Vladimir Putin would get rid of his uh, opponents biologically. He would kill them. And now Joe Biden and Merrick Garland wants to kill the leadership of the opposition party politically on the eve of the next election, as you pointed out, in many states, we start voting in like eight or nine weeks. This thing's going to metastasize. And I thought there was that rule you talked about, Ashley, about not interfering with an election. What the heck does this do when the president doesn't have the right papers in the right drawer and 30 show up uh, at about nine o'clock in the morning, search for nine and a half hours for evidence of a crime? Are you kidding me? When you submitted an affidavit, and I was a federal law clerk, you would read the affidavit, maybe put someone under oath. I can't imagine, unless O.J. Simpson's murderers, there's evidence of that in that state. There's no reason to do this. As you know, you have civil actions. You have replevin actions. You have subpoenas that could have been issued. And if there's some dispute the last six months, the last thing you want to do is imprison the leader of the opposition party and tried the case, by the way, in front of a Washington, D.C. jury. Are you kidding me? They, they want McDonald's. The well, you know what, to that, Bill? Tomorrow, let off and shackles.
0: You know what? I will say this. This was a comment that, that uh, former President Trump made such, and I'll quote him, such an assault can only take place in third world countries. Sadly, America has become one of those countries. They even broke into my safe. And then he also made comments about Hillary Clinton as well. But I, I do have to yeah. ask you with, with what you say, uh, the separation between the branches of government was uh, elucidated with a comment from the White House that said it had not been notified about this. There was no heads up given to the Biden White House <laughs> about this search. So do you, do you think, well, let me ask the question. Do you think that the White House is lying? Has the White
4: House, White House ever lied before? What are they doing to parents who go to school board meetings? What are they doing to the state of Idaho? Everywhere I look, I see Joe Biden's administration promising one thing and doing the exact opposite. Do I think Merrick Garland on his own without the involvement of Joe Biden or, or Ron Klein, the chief of staff, do something this size? I, I don't think so. Of course, I'm not going to believe a darn word he says anyway. This reminds me of the Saturday Night Massacre, Archibald Cox and Richardson. This reminds me of a moment in American history. We're going to look back on it. January 6th, man, awful. Trying to assassinate Supreme Court justices, awful. Republican lawmakers shot at a baseball game? by that uh, idiot from uh, Illinois, I'm sorry, uh, it, it's seismic. But when you go to the president's home, Mar-a-Lago, and for nine and a half hours, you, don't, uh, you have specific things to find. You can't look for, a, for example, a piece of paper. Uh, if you're going to look for a piece of paper, you can't, you can't seize a car. So they have to go through all the records of this president, including personal communications and those covered by executive privilege. This thing is going to light up the country in ways we're going to forget about what happened with the Inflation Reduction Act, Ashley Banfield. This thing's going to energize the conservative movement like nothing before. The Congress is invaded. Supreme Court justices are hunted down. Now, President Trump is treated like a common criminal. I can't take it anymore.
0: Uh, Bill Cunningham is the host on WLW in Cincinnati, a uh, radio host uh, well-listened to. I will say this. It's been said by others that if this doesn't result in some kind of a conviction that this will make a, a martyr out of President Trump. And it will, like Bill said, it will energize uh, the Republican base ahead yeah. of um, the midterms and, of course, ahead of 2024 as well. Bill Cunningham, thank you for that. I have to squeeze in a quick break when we come back. Some of the things being said about this incredible breaking news range from the legal, which are critical, to the political, which are critical. We're going to sort all that out right after this. Welcome back to Banfield. It's 1032 on a Monday night in early August. I hope you're having a relaxing day because the world just shifted on its axis. Uh, the late breaking news this afternoon, late into the evening, has been that FBI agents showed up at Mar-a-Lago. That is the, the home of former President Donald Trump. It is a seasonal home, so he's not there right now, and neither are the guests, just the staff. He's in Trump Tower, but the FBI were in the home. For nine and a half hours, showing up at nine this morning and staying around till 630 tonight, searching for whatever it was they listed in the affidavit for the warrant, the warrant that would have had to be signed by a federal judge, a warrant and an action which absolutely was approved by Merrick Garland, the head of the Department of Justice. Let's be clear, folks. Federal warrants, yeah, they happen, and sometimes they can happen quickly. And no, the entire Department of Justice doesn't usually know all about them. But when the former president of the United States has a search executed on his residence, his personal apartments at Mar-a-Lago, his office at Mar-a-Lago, a safe in his office at Mar-a-Lago, well, that does make its way to the top of the DOJ. And that's a detail that our Brian Enton, national correspondent at News Nation, was able to get exclusively. So, Brian, fill me in again on some of the things that your source told you about this absolutely remarkable legal action that was taken today uh, by the Department of Justice against um, Donald Trump.
2: Yeah, actually, so I'm told uh, that uh, this was obviously a top-secret search warrant, that the Secret Service at Mar-a-Lago and the Secret Service overall was not even notified that this would be happening until right before it happened this morning at 9 a.m. I'm told that FBI agents initially showed up to Mar-a-Lago at 9 a.m. Uh, and that they did not leave until 6.30 p.m., Tonight, and that all of this is related to the retention of classified documents that in the warrant, it was very specific, exactly what the FBI agents would be looking for um, and that they went in only gathering those items and left with with boxes and boxes of evidence. You mentioned it. I'm told that this was went all the way to the highest levels of the DOJ, that this was approved by the attorney general approved by the attorney general um, uh, three lawyer, three Trump lawyers showed up uh, during the, the, the search that went on from 9 a.m. to 630 p.m. Um, and uh, and that they were very, very low key. You know, a lot of times uh, when when you see a search warrant, you'll see the FBI agents in the FBI jackets and you'll be able to tell their, the FBI that they decided not to do that. In this instance, that the FBI agents were dressed plainly. Uh, and that they believe the reason this did not leak out is because the staff at Mar-a-Lago, and I'm told there was a lot of staff there today, it was a busy day, that they likely just assumed that this was Secret Service coming and going, that there was no uh, identification that it was the FBI, which is why they believe it didn't leak out. Um, you mentioned the safe. Uh, what I have learned is that the safe that President Trump referred to in a statement that it is a safe, a, a hotel room style safe in the wall. So this isn't like some big, enormous safe or fancy safe. It's a hotel room style safe that you'd find in a hotel room that it was in the wall in his office, which is what used to be a bridal suite uh, above the ballroom uh, that they broke it open. Um, and that all of the evidence that was found uh, today will be taken to an FBI office in South Florida, eventually likely sent to D.C., but it will remain at the uh, FBI uh, office in South Florida for now.
0: Well, and that'll be under guard, uh, however it gets to, to Washington, D.C., once that material uh, ends up going to, to Washington, D.C. It's fascinating when you say, though, I will say I've been to Mar-a-Lago and it is very big and the guest rooms are big and they're all over the place, but there is that very specific personal residence that has an office for Donald Trump, a room for Donald Trump, a room for Melania Trump, and that common room. There is also a business office at Mar-a-Lago, and this is how, you know, the press secretary, former press secretary Stephanie Grisham listed it out, along with other. Other areas, but that the focus was specifically on the office of Donald Trump and the personal headquarters like were rather the personal quarters of the the trump family and donald trump 's son also has personal quarters there as well, so super interesting that you said the retention of classified documents because Documents are one thing, when you remove them, uh, th- that you can't, there's a Presidential Records Act, but classified documents, that's a whole other uh, kettle of fish. Brian Anton, thank you for the, the late-breaking reporting you did, excellent work. When we come back after the break, you know, it's well known that Donald Trump is not an electronics guy, right? You never really saw him with the iPhone, he's not a laptop guy. His closest people said he wanted things on paper, always on paper. So, this search today could very well have been just for documents, but if they came across the electronics and if that's in the actual warrant listed out, signed off on by a federal judge, well, they could be in possession of electronics too. And of course, any product of this search can yield information for any investigation. And there's a January 6th investigation. We're back after the break with more on all of the implications. You know, sometimes in the summer I forget what day it is, but today I am never going to forget it. It's August the 8th, 2022. And for those of you who were around in 1974, August the 8th was the day that Nixon resigned from office. So two August the 8ths are going to be really important because as the breaking news says, a search t- tied to government documents uh, that Trump removed from the White House actually was underway today at Mar-a-Lago. This is huge, folks. We have a Fourth Amendment in this country. You can't just waltz into someone's house and search for stuff. There's a process. You have to establish probable cause. Probable cause is tricky. You have to list out the Evidence you think is going to be there to support your probable cause for an actual crime. And then you have to get a judge to sign off. When it comes to the federal system, that's even trickier. When it comes to the former president of the United States, that is beyond, beyond difficult. So the fact that Mar-a-Lago was searched for nine and a half hours today by federal agents with the Department of Justice, I mean, Seismic doesn't even begin to describe how important this story is on August the 8th, 2022. Something you should know about. Uh, politically motivated, maybe, perhaps. You know, that's what people uh, who support Trump will say. But we should also know that Christopher Wray was an appointee of Donald Trump. And for the FBI to do this from a, an appointee of Donald Trump, says something as well um but kevin mccarthy the minority leader of the republicans says that the doj and attorney general merrick garland better preserve the documents preserve their records clear the calendar they're going to take action uh if when they get into power but this is a big story today and we're going to continue on news nation to cover it in the meantime um, we have a big story coming up next what drives a driver NASCAR's Kyle Petty is going to join me, opening up about his famous last name, his unforgettable wins, and his extremely tragic losses. That's next. Welcome back. Kyle Petty is nothing short of NASCAR royalty. In 1948, his grandfather, Lee Petty, competed in the first official NASCAR race and won the inaugural Daytona 500. Kyle's father... Richard Petty went on to win that race a record seven times. His uncle was a Hall of Fame engine builder, and Kyle followed in his family's tire tracks, becoming the youngest driver to win a major league stock car race and 200 more in his famed career. But the Petty NASCAR dynasty has not been without tragedy. In the year 2000, Kyle's 19 year old son Adam was on his third lap in a practice race when his throttle got stuck. And it led to a fatal crash, a precursor to Black Sunday, just months later when Kyle's friend Dale Earnhardt Sr. died of similar injuries. Earnhardt's son famously got back behind the wheel a week later, just as Kyle Petty kept racing after losing Adam. So what is the driving force keeping these legacies in the race even after such excruciating loss? In his new book, Swerve or Die, Kyle Petty is opening up about that and a whole lot more, and he joins me live tonight. Hey, Kyle, thanks for joining me. It's a real pleasure to, to have you on the program. You know, this must have been, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it was for you, painful but, but cathartic, and all at the same time, being able to write about your son, sort of bringing him back to life in your mind, at least, um, must have been also pleasing.
5: It was. Um, it was painful. A lot more painful than I thought. And and I, I will be totally honest there. Um, I started writing some stories and writing some things uh, during the pandemic when you had time. And, and I was at home with my wife, Morgan, and my, my two little boys at the time. I have three little boys now. But uh, just to sit down and write it, to get it out, to get it out and to see it on paper. And, uh, you know, it was like it's been 22 years. Uh, but at the same time, it felt like it was yesterday. Uh, and there were moments that you would just break down and just stop and have to start again. Uh, when I did the audio book, I just almost couldn't read it out loud. So uh, it, it was, it, to walk back down that hallway and to open that door uh, on those memories was, uh, was incredibly hard, a lot harder than I ever anticipated.
0: You know, I, I, you just had me thinking about you in the audio booth. Um, it's one thing to write it silently. It's another thing to, to speak the words. And that must have been, really tough like just uh, i can't even imagine you know going through. And, and despite the fact that it was 22 years ago I, i'm always fascinated by you guys you, you know you, i watch these races and they're exhilarating and i like nascar but i'm terrified all the time and you're in those cars and and these tragedies happen and they happen to you and your families but you just keep going how
5: you know i, I think it's for a lot of different reasons i i think i was born in the rural south I'm from rural North Carolina. I grew up in a community where, where there were tobacco farmers and chicken farmers and dairy farmers and, uh, and, and mill workers. Uh, and just because uh, something changed, just because the jobs got shipped somewhere else or just because the crops failed or, or things didn't go right, you still got up and you went to work the next day because that's what you were. You were a farmer. You were a mill worker. Uh, I'm a race car driver. That's what. That's the way I grew up. That's the way my grandfather was. That's the way my father was. That's the way I was. And uh, when you have tragedy, you don't just stop. Hence the title, Swerve or Die. You have to keep moving. You have to change direction. You have to find a way uh, to make something happen for you and for your family. And uh, that's what we do as race car drivers. We know and have always known that that element of danger is there. Uh, it's there in everyday life. But. But really, it's at the forefront of motorsports. But motorsports have gotten so much safer. And we look at NASCAR, and NASCAR is a phenomenal organization that continues to move the ball uh, on safety and continues to, to make the sport worldwide safer. So, uh, you know, out of tragedy comes positives. And I think so many things that happened in NASCAR were positive after that accident, after Adam's accident, and after Dale Sr.'s accident.
0: You know, I think about the, the Earnharts and the Bushes and the Petties and the, these amazing dynasties. And then I just learned something. And you'll have to tell me if this is true. You just had a baby a couple weeks ago. Plus, you have a granddaughter who was just born on the anniversary of Adam's death. Is that really true? I mean, I'm wondering if that's yes. true. Is it a message from God or is it, you know, coincidence?
5: Now, you know, I, I tell you what, we are, we are a very spiritual family, a very religious family. Uh, my mother loved hummingbirds, and it seems like every time there's a child born in this family, uh, a hummingbird comes around in some way, shape, or form. And uh, there's been hummingbirds hanging around my my house here mm. in North Carolina uh, for the last two or three weeks. But uh, when my oldest son, or middle son, Austin, uh, had his daughter, uh, she was early, and she came on, on Adam's birthday. And uh, after so many years of that being a sad day, after so many years of that being uh a, a a day that you just dreaded it coming around now it's a little bit more it's a little sweeter that took a little bit of the edge off of it it's still a bitter day but it's a bittersweet day now when you look back on it because uh out of out of that has come new life
0: kyle petty uh the book is called swerve or die it's just a pleasure to to talk to you i've been a fan for a long time and i'm sure that that's not the first time you've heard that good luck with everything and thanks for doing this
5: Thank you very much for having me, and vice versa. Big fan of yours.
0: You bet. God bless you. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, coming up after the break, Gabby Petito's family says that she would still be alive if an encounter with the police in Utah had gone by the book. And now the police are going to have to explain their actions or inactions in court. Quick story to end the broadcast. Gabby Petito's family has launched a $50 million wrongful death suit against the Moab Police Department, saying they were negligent in that roadside encounter. Uh, Moab Police Department says they're not going to comment on this pending litigation, but we're going to continue to follow this story for you, let you know where it goes. Been a busy night. Thanks for staying with us. I'll see you right back here tomorrow night.